welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. Our guest today is Mr. Bill Thiemann. He is a very special special education teacher who in the early years of my career in the schools deeply inspired me to think inclusion. In his classroom, I have personally witnessed the value of nurturing neurotypical kids to be ambassadors of true inclusion. He created a culture change in the school by helping neurotypical kids enter into and understand the world of their friends with significant communication and social differences. Kids who were primarily educated in self-contained classrooms. Mr. T is one of the most exceptionally skillful and kind teachers I've been blessed to work with. He has this natural gift to not just fully engage his students, but also those who are part of the student's school life, which includes paraeducators, therapists like me, as well as their peers in mainstream. Welcome, Mr. T. I'm going to call you Mr. T as you were always fondly known. I am so happy to have you on my show. Can you please share with our listeners a little bit about your background as a special education teacher? Well, thank you, Savita. Um, and it's so nice to be asked. And I'm so glad that you are making the effort to uh, inform people about what inclusion can mean. Um, a little bit about my background. I'm going to sum up 40 years as, as quickly as I can. Um, I started as a teacher's assistant, as an aide in a state hospital, uh, Agnew State Hospital in 1980. And I learned a lot there. Um, and over the years, I worked in a wide variety of special day classes uh, and other roles uh, across um, a wide variety of, of, of disability categories. And I got to see a lot of classrooms. I, I always had a feel for working with students with behaviorally disorders. So at one point, I was asked by the County Office of Education in Santa Clara to be the behavior management specialist for them. And I spent three years as the behavior management specialist. And as a result of that, I got to see a lot of classrooms and a lot of teachers. Um, and I saw certain commonalities about mm -hmm. classrooms that worked, uh, which was very helpful to me. I saw that there was always structure, mm -hmm. uh, schedules that formed a predictable rhythm of the day for students, but was flexible. I saw that there was a curriculum that engaged students uh, through pragmatics um, mm -hmm. and interest. And I saw that there was an emphasis on rapport with students and rapport between staff communication was honored, and the classroom was a pleasant place to be. Uh, humor, flexibility, celebrating student interests whenever possible. Um, and for the last six years, along with my uh, special day class duties, I have been an instructor in the EPIC teacher credentialing program in Santa Clara County, where, mm -hmm. you know, among other things, I can share how to fix mistakes. I always say I've made every mistake there is to make three times, so I'm pretty <laughs> good at fixing them. Um, and all of that has sort of brought me to where I am today. Interesting. So when I worked with you, I think about like 10, 11 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Um, yeah, you were, you were, you had, you were a, a, a teacher who had 
students in your class placed because they couldn't fit in most other classrooms, right? That, that's right. I used to call our classroom the island of misfit toys. <laughs> we, when I was behavior management specialist, it was mm -hmm. very common for me to go and see a teacher who had called me and say, gee, I really love Johnny, but mm -hmm. he belongs in a more appropriate classroom. And I used to think somewhere there's this mythical place called the more appropriate classroom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I decided that I would try to be that more appropriate classroom. So I stepped down from that behavior specialist position and made my classroom at Saratoga sort of the place where everybody who was getting, you know, yeah. asked to leave their current placement would come to me. <laughs> and you're here today because you made it work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, a fully inclusive classroom is often an ideal that is aspired for in education, right? We want yes. kids of all abilities to be in one classroom. And in reality, we don't see that happening, especially for those students with moderate to severe disabilities, and they're often educated in self-contained classrooms. Yes. And frequently, what is called inclusion tends to be about physical space sharing, right? Um, I want to pick your brain on what you see as authentic inclusion in schools for children with moderate to severe disabilities. Well, you know, I'm so glad you asked that question. When I started at Saratoga um, mm -hmm. in the elementary school, there really wasn't much interaction at all. You know, the, the special needs students were sort of off, <laughs> off in room two. And, mm -hmm. and the teachers, the other teachers would look at you and say, oh, thank goodness you're here to do this. You must be so, you must be so patient. You must be so special, you know, mm -hmm. and that wasn't that wasn't what anybody was looking for. But I also mm -hmm. recognize that simply placing a student with severe autism or even moderate autism mm -hmm. in an environment that doesn't work for them, like a crowded classroom, is not doing anybody much good, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. it often and I, I used to think, you know, they're trying to make special education look like general education and it should be the other way around we should be trying to make general education look more like special education where students have individualized programs and actual individuality individual needs are, are accommodated so you know i just want you to pause right there i think yes. you made such an amazing point general education has to be more like special ed than making special ed more like general ed yes thank you because yeah it was it's why do we have to be confined to that very restrictive model. And, and the beauty of being a special education, special day class teacher is that you have a little more freedom to create mm -hmm. your own model, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. so I went with that and, and I started with, the idea of inclusion is not just sharing the same space. Otherwise everybody on mm -hmm. the subway would be included, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But it, what, what real inclusion is, it involves sharing and participating in a cooperative work or play project so that all the parties have a share in the activity. Um, and with that, I started to, I sort of, I started to sort of reverse engineer. Well, okay, how do I create a, uh, situations where <laughs> general education students and, and my special needs students could be participating on kind of an equal footing and environment. <laughs> um, and although I did some push in, uh, what we used to call mainstreaming, because I'm an old guy, uh, some push in inclusion. I did a lot of uh, what they call reverse integration. And so, mm -hmm. um, but if I may expand upon this a little bit more, one of the things I recognized was the need for the general education students and teachers and staff and principal and the school office staff and everybody to understand a little bit more about 
our students because a lot of times there was sort of a standoffishness, but that was more out of, you know, fear is too strong a word, but misunderstanding, mm -hmm. general lack of, you know, I don't know what to do with those people, so I'm going to leave them alone, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I started with trying to reduce fear and understanding with general ed students and staff. So I would go to each classroom and eventually I would do this every year. And I, I graduated from doing it to individual classrooms and doing grade levels. And I would go to every first grade class, every second grade class, every fifth grade class, every class. And I would, uh -huh. I would, I would ask them four questions. Mm -hmm. I would start with, what do you notice about the kids in room five? We had moved from room two to room five. What do you notice about mm -hmm. the kids in room five? And it was their chance to say, gee, they spin around a lot. Or sometimes mm -hmm. they try to take my food at lunch. Or sometimes they cry. And, and, and it was our chance to acknowledge, yes, we mm -hmm. are different. Everybody's different. They have individual characteristics. Let's talk mm -hmm. about why they do that. Let's mm -hmm. talk about why would they a lot. Now explain, well, sometimes people with autism have a feeling that kind of, it's, it's almost like having an itch. You know how mm. when you have an itch, you rub your fingernails along your skin and that looks kind of weird mm. until you realize that, oh, you're scratching an itch. Well, sometimes somebody, somebody with autism who is spinning is sort of scratching an itch. It, it feels good to do that. And so mm -hmm. explaining that, explaining why they, why they may cry uh, or not be able to talk to you and explaining that, um, hmm. you know what, the students with autism often, imagine you have a four lane highway that goes from your brain to your mouth and from your ears to your brain. Hmm. Well, students with autism don't have a four lane highway. They have like a bike lane or hmm. a one lane road. And so things are going to, their brain still works, but, but information is going to go in slower and is going to come out slower. And hmm. how would you feel if you couldn't get all your ideas, all your thoughts out? You know how when you're really angry, like with your mom or your brother, or your sister, you can't say what you're thinking. That's mm -hmm. kind of what it's like to be living with autism. And so I would explain that kind of thing. So I'd ask these four questions. What do you notice about the kids in room five? How are mm -hmm. they different from you? How are they like you? And I would sort of go from, you know, emphasizing differences from acknowledging differences mm -hmm. to acknowledging how are they like you? You know, do you like pizza? They like pizza. Mm -hmm. you know, do you like movies on Friday nights with your parents? They like movies on Friday nights with your parents. Do you like to have friends? They like to have friends. It's sort of going on like that, trying mm -hmm. to find our commonality. Um, mm -hmm. And then I would ask them, what do you think you can do to help them? And I would give them some specific ways. And from there, I looked at what kind of environments are conducive to meaningful interactions. How can mm -hmm. I weight the situation so that we're not just occupying the same space, but mm -hmm. that the special needs students are truly participating and interested and um, I would then invite general ed students to come join us for these things in groups. Um, mm -hmm. I asked general education students to sign up. Uh, I started with lunch buddies. I would ask them to sign up in pairs. In other mm -hmm. words, I would go to the fifth grade class and I usually started with older classes and I wouldn't have them come alone. I would say you and a friend and I would have up to five groups of two students. So up to 10 students and they sign up as buddies. So Sally and Johnny would come up, would sign up to come be lunch buddies along with George and Harry and they come up, so they had somebody else. They didn't feel so alone and on the spot. So they needed to carry everything with a special needs student. I was very mm -hmm. concerned with, with helping this along by helping the general needs, general education students overcome their fears so mm -hmm. they can open up, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. here's the thing. I had to acknowledge the reality that in any relationship, at least at first, any mm -hmm. relationship between a general education student and a student with severe, with, you know, with autism mm -hmm. um, is going to evolve the general ed student doing more than 50% of the work. 
<laughs> you know, they have to reach across <laughs> that bridge. They have to walk 70% of the way across the bridge. And the student with autism is going to walk 30% of the way because that's where they're at right now. And I didn't <laughs> want anybody frustrated. So I started with, you know, in pairs of your lunch buddies, um, they can come and eat with us. And I always, I'd, I was, I would always coach them about things to watch out for, you know, about <laughs> things to try. Try to get them to say hi to you. If he doesn't say hi, don't push it. You'll come back mm-hmm. tomorrow. We did the lunch. We did. They would come and eat with us. And, and I made the classroom. I tried to make it a fun and pleasant place to be. I mean, you, that, sure did, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I was always running around making jokes, sort of being <laughs> that guy. I was that <laughs> elementary school teacher that played the guitar. I was that, <laughs> guy, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I, I tried to make it a pleasant place to be. Um, I did the same thing at lunchtime. I would give them the specific activities. OK, Johnny and Sally, you're going to be little Peter's. Uh, lunch mm-hmm. uh, recess buddy today here's a ball let's see if he can catch the ball three times from you he doesn't have mm-hmm. to play with you the whole time but i want you to stay with him and mm-hmm. it was it was a matter of getting them to be comfortable over time um from that thing um i had the students the generalized students sign up to come in for game time we would play board games simple games like that um mm-hmm. or art activities and because those were small group activities in which you could really pay attention mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to every student and, and that helped build that comfort. And that that eventually helped my guys, my special needs students, be much more comfortable around the mm-hmm. general ed students. But mm-hmm. it started mm-hmm. with bringing them to me, not forcing my people, my students into the general ed environment, but bringing the general mm-hmm. ed students back into in our environment on our mm-hmm. turf where things were more equitable. Um, and the key was just to get small group interaction going where students were in their comfort zone. Um, uh-huh. Over the course of the years, and I did this for 10 years, Saratoga, what usually mm-hmm. ha- what always happened is you get up at the start of the year, a lot of kids would sign up, but then you sort of winnow it down to like 10 or 12 that really got it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. They were the ones that would sign up again and again. They, they were the ones that would seek us out of the playground when it wasn't their week. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that would actually invite some of my kids to their birthday parties, you know, oh, and, and, and uh-huh. that's how that happened. You know, I, I just love it. This is so beautiful. So first you you actually went in and you spread the word. You created that awareness because oftentimes um, kids, you know, these kids have some idiosyncrasies that are that stand out and, and you know that. But then you don't want to talk about it or you don't want to acknowledge it. Right. Exactly. You kind of push it under the rug yeah. and you, you put it out there. You just actually brought it out and gave the kids the freedom to talk about it. So it's no more a taboo. It's no more uh, uh, untouched territory. Exactly. You brought that awareness. Right. What, then... I, what I was looking for, what I, what I like to think I succeeded in was the authenticity. Yes. Let's not pretend we're all the same because that just yeah. violates the student's sense. They, they, they know that's not right. Yes. And so they don't respect yes. the process. But, if, but also, this goes, you know, I tell my beginning teachers um, in the credentialing program I teach in, um, uh-huh. know what you want. Uh-huh. And I knew what I wanted. And I simply told the general education students mm-hmm. and staff, this is what I want. I want uh-huh. our students to feel like ours, not just mine mm-hmm. and yours. And I want mm-hmm. to foster social interaction. I want them to make friends. And these are the kind of things we can do. And then, mm-hmm. and then I structured activities where it could happen. But it, step one was started. Yeah. But let's be honest about where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you, you brought all the differences and then you had them embrace their similarities and differences. And then you, you created an environment where everybody could have a sense of belonging. And 
and and I think I think the what you you said about the kids on the the neurotypical kids had to initially or even for the longest time have to do more than fifty percent. Right, and I would and tell and I and would tell them that students. up front. Right. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But, but a lot of them, I tried to frame it as a project. We're trying to get Freddie yeah. to use his communication board. We're uh-huh. trying to get Tina to play with somebody else at recess. Can you help us with this? And don't expect yeah. to be successful right away. Uh-huh. Don't get frustrated. Uh-huh. You're going to get a chance tomorrow. And think about uh-huh. how good it's going to feel in two months when Tina plays catch with you. That's where we're going, guys. Beautiful. You know? And, and, and so yeah. I, I went and I let them in on where we were going. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You And you did it so beautifully. And so this is like authentic social interaction, right? That, you, that you, was- it needs to be... It, it needs to be facilitated. You can't just have two kids in, in you know, of completely different, who come from different worlds of sorts, you know? Exactly. A, a kid with autism, or I should say an autistic kid is wired differently. And, and it, for expecting them to fit into our world just like that is not going to happen unless we, the majority, understand their world and enter into it, meet them more than halfway, I think. Exactly. And, and at least at yeah. first. And, and again, yeah. the students with autism... Were most of the time, and of course, this is, you know, it's, it's not 100%, but most of the time, they were not that motivated to want to be included, particularly uh-huh. the more severely impaired ones. It was intimidating. It was confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't, a lot of the mm-hmm. material was sort of presented, you know, verbally in lecture mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you know, why am I here? <laughs> you know, I, I don't right. like to be mm-hmm. here. Why am I here? What's in it for me? <laughs> And, and so right. and so what I tried to get the students with autism, what's in it for them was a sense of comfort. Students with autism, like it's human nature to resist change. People with mm-hmm. autism are particularly susceptible mm-hmm. to change resistance. And so mm-hmm. I tried to sort of I, I, I never force anything. In fact, I never force any student to come. I never force any general education teacher to accept my students for push in mainstreaming. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I was more mm-hmm. like water on a rock. I'd put the idea out. You know, mm-hmm. and then I would say, hey, let's try. Can can Ryan come by for, you know, your English lesson? He'll have an aide with him. And my aide knew that mm-hmm. the reason for doing that was not just so Ryan could learn the English lesson, but so mm-hmm. Ryan could start to fit in and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it, it starts with acknowledging where you really are and where you want to yeah. go and not being yeah. necessarily bound to existing models. Yeah. And I and I loved how you said that eventually you end up having uh, about 10 or 15 kids who repeatedly want to do this. Oh, yeah. And and that's just interesting because, you know, I think we're all called for different things in this world. Right. And and in a way, having creating that awareness in those kiddos that this I like doing this. Yes. And I like being part of I like stepping out of my comfort zone and I like being, you know, a little bit extra altruistic. It comes naturally to me. And, and you just facilitate that in a very natural process, not forcing anybody to do anything. You expose them and the ones who love it. And, take and it. I let them self, self sort. I tell you, every year I found at least one future teacher amongst those kids. <laughs> you could spot them. You could spot uh-huh. them. The ones that were genuinely interested. But I, but I never forced uh-huh. and I never forced that. Mm-hmm, you know, and I mm-hmm. never made inclusion the entire reason that the general ed kids were there. In other words, I would joke with them. I'd ask them about their math homework. You know, we'd also, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you sort of just infused it. You know, you didn't put Mm -hmm. them on the spot, be friendly with my guys. You know, you you can't Mm -hmm. force it. You can simply create the environment and then let Mm -hmm. it cook. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. when people would say, oh, you must be so patient and all that stuff that they tell <laughs> special ed teachers, that's the patience. <laughs> Being uh-huh, able uh-huh. To, to, to put all the eating put all the ingredients together and then having the patience to let it bake a little bit without yeah. wanting a cake right away. Yep. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And that one person is the one who's going to make the biggest difference in the world down the road. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, and they yep. found that they could, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to think that they got a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So now you, this was, in a way for our kiddos, their social world was possible. You know, their social skills were, were, were made more functional in this in this environment that you created. So what are some benefits that you have seen in children without disabilities through this experience, the, the mainstream kiddos? Well, well you uh, know, um, I saw a lot of them just d- demonstrate real empathy and interest. I think mm-hmm. it was the, the ones that would come back would be the ones that would say, I want to get, you know, that would go beyond what I was saying. We're trying to get Johnny to use his, talker to to say hello and goodbye and they could say can he say i want to turn you know and, and that was always mm-hmm. the most exciting thing when they would say can can we can we get this to happen or when uh, one of my guys would would spontaneously greet you know the general mm-hmm. kids either on the playground or anywhere they saw them it's like yes this worked something happened that mm-hmm. i didn't instruct it to happen right and that was the magic thing and i think the kids the general ed kids, um, I think they got a real sense of accomplishment, especially the ones that took it on. Mm-hmm. And they got an ability, even the ones that didn't really take to it all the time, you could see they weren't afraid of our guys anymore. You know, you could see they, they, there was definitely a level of acceptance. And by the end of my mm-hmm. 10 years at Saratoga, my guys mm-hmm. who were pretty out there, I mean, these were severe to moderate uh, people with autism with histories of behavior problems. My guys were out, you know, mm-hmm. you remember, Savita, I'm sure. We were out in the playground with everybody else. We, we were just part of the gang, of course, yeah. you know, and yes. it, it was remarkable yeah. because we weren't remarkable, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. and, and I, I, I took yes. real joy in that. I used to get notes from parents, yeah. uh, parents of general ed kids every year thanking me mm-hmm. for the opportunity mm-hmm. to, uh, to for, the, for, the, for the opportunity that I gave their children. And I always treasured those. And I envied those kids because my kids never got that opportunity. And I, w- I would have loved, loved, loved for them to have that opportunity to just see things from completely different perspectives. Right. And, right. and the fact that it's not scary. It's not scary. It's yeah, weird. yeah. It's, it's not more, scary. It's familiar territory after, after the experience. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So do you have an interesting story to share from your experience <laughs> of facilitating inclusion? <laughs> Are you really asking me if I have an interesting story, Savita? Really? I know you have like a million. Be, of be them. careful what you wish. Here, here's the thing. I, I, I actually thought about this, and and uh-huh. my best answer is, you know, like like teaching itself. Uh, there's no one mm-hmm. particular event or story that stands out so much as the sum total of satisfaction that's built from thousands of moments. You know. Um, mm-hmm. But I, there's, there's one that, that came to mind. I remember that there's little moments, but as a teacher, they make your heart sing with joy. Mm-hmm. And, and there was this small one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the end of mm-hmm. lunchtime. And uh, I had a few minutes to spend before everybody's going to go back. And we had our full cohort of like 10 or I might have had 10 or 12 uh, fifth graders in mm-hmm. that day with my guys. And I uh-huh. used to pick up my guitar and play these little songs for my students. When we had time to kill, uh, 
the one thing about uh-huh. my students with autism, they, they needed something to focus on or they were going to go focus on something which was probably inappropriate. <laughs> you know? So, so mm-hmm. I would try to get them to focus and I would, I would play my guitar and I'd sing. And I had taught some of my students this little song about, uh, I don't know, Savita, if you remember a student named Huviel. Um, of course Hoobie. I do. Hoobie yes. Hoobie. I remember every single kid I, you I know what? with. I do too. I do too. <laughs> um, but in fact, uh, well, I'll finish with this. But uh, anyway, there was this little song about my name is Hoobiel and I'd like to sing. Yes, I do. It was actually to the tune of James Taylor's Steamroller Blues, but I changed the words. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, oh. so Hoobiel, you know, brought me my guitar. She, but she was one of those students that could sing more than she could talk. But she brought me on my guitar and said, yeah, we've got a few minutes. So I started to play that song and we started to sing that song and the general ed kids heard it and they spontaneously sang along with him. Mm-hmm. You know, my name, they all sang, my name is Hoobiel. And I just remember thinking, damn, this is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> the, yeah. the, this is it right here. Just Joy- naturally, joyfully singing just together. Naturally blending That's in. what I wanted mm-hmm. when I went and talked to these guys in their classroom at the start of the year. This is what I wanted. And I got it. And I, I just remember that, you know. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that is that is beautiful. That is beautiful. So, okay. So my last question for you. So as so I'm an oh, artist, right? And, I, and, and, target, and, <laughs> and I'm targeting. A, a wonderful. <laughs> Thank artist. you. So I'm. I'm targeting this podcast to primarily OT audiences and then to um, to others too in, in education. And so just as OTs, we are striving to more fully represent our scope of practice beyond fine motor and handwriting, which seems to be like where we've been boxed into <laughs> in school, right? <laughs> To be, yeah, to be more occupation-based. Right. So our best, yeah, so our best practices dictate us to situate our practice within students' natural contexts. So their natural roles, their natural routines, and address areas that are most meaningful for their success in this fast-changing world. Now, this really requires us to look beyond handwriting goals, right? And fine motor goals, that we step beyond those traditional roles to more actively co-facilitate educational environments, just like what you do. You know, you're an inspiration to me and and, and what you did, what I witnessed you do, made me want to do that, right? To create an environment that, that's so OT, like we address the individual in, the, in, in their context, in their environment, exactly. not just fixing the kid, Fix but, the environment. but facilitating participation. Right. And here's mm-hmm. the thing, and I, not to interrupt you because I want to talk about OTs, but I want to get back to that whole thing about mm-hmm. one of the things that I, that I teach my, my credentialing students is that you, the teacher, are not responsible for controlling anybody else's behavior or really for changing them. Mm. You cannot assume responsibility for mm-hmm. that. What you are responsible for is the environment in which they function, right? And so mm-hmm. it became all about, mm-hmm. you know, a teacher doesn't control another a student's behavior, but he does control the schedule, the curriculum, communication techniques, rapport, all of those things. Those are what change mm-hmm. uh, a student's life, right? And so you sort of have to, you have to put all yes. that stuff out there for them. That's what you control and that's where you put your energy. Um, but if I want to talk about mm-hmm. OTs, and apply, I think OTs are wonderful, especially if the teacher knows what they want. And what I love about OTs mm-hmm. is they're incredibly important precisely, precisely because the work they do focuses on the pragmatic. You know, their work is about mm-hmm. looking for tangible ways to teach students with mm-hmm. special needs and help mm-hmm. them adapt to make life better. You know, yep. 
They're all about activities. Yes, and yes, exactly. <laughs> so you look for so an OT works in coordination with the teacher and the parents and the family and mm -hmm. the student to look at the skills and adaptations that can make life better for a student, then intentionally design a way to work on those skills. I mean, it might be, you know, handwriting, mm -hmm. but it also might be designing a way for a student to eat more independently by adapting silverware or working on the finger dexterity mm -hmm. needed, needed to use a microwave keypad or a touchscreen on a computer or working on the motor skills to slip a debit card into a chip reading machine, right? Those are mm -hmm. functional, mm -hmm. pragmatic things that make a difference. And here's mm -hmm, the thing, mm -hmm. when you teach a person with autism something that they can see a function for, then they're going to buy in. Mm -hmm. And OTs are just incredibly important in that whole scheme. They are, they are what takes mm -hmm. large, I always look at occupational therapists as, let's take the theoretical and put it to the pragmatic, you know? <laughs> yes, and, and, yes and that that's what an occupational <laughs> yeah. therapist does oh my in fact i think really in a, in a mm -hmm. real sense an sct teacher is mm -hmm. basically an occupational therapist writ large you know True. my job is to make, yes. help make their life better we, you know and so mm -hmm. anyway that's mm -hmm. that's what i think about ot's anything pragmatic and practical mm -hmm. that looks upon not mm -hmm. just changing the special needs individual but adapting the world to him or her mm -hmm. when possible you know and that's mm -hmm. that's sort of mm -hmm. the role so so if you were to give us your final take your final takeaway for us ot's what is one thing you want to leave us with? uh what is one thing to leave you with um <clears throat> take a holistic look at a student as much as possible involve the family. Because often uh, students can't tell you mm -hmm. what their needs are. Mm -hmm. Ask, mm -hmm. what are your priorities? What's gonna make life mm -hmm. better for you, mm -hmm. right? What mm -hmm. skill mm -hmm. will make life better for you? You know, what specific, like, for instance, I use the, uh, using a, uh, a debit card is that's mm -hmm. a valuable adult skill and mm -hmm. that involves certain motor skills you know mm -hmm. um and that might involve you know an ot can adapt the debit card by putting a big old you know handle or something on one end so that it can still fit in but still be grabbed out mm -hmm. right teaching how mm -hmm. to recognize numbers mm -hmm. so look at what's going to matter and you can't always figure mm -hmm. it out yourself nobody died and made you the occupational therapist god that has to have all the answers Ask somebody. <laughs> I love ask it. Ask yeah. somebody. Yeah, ask it's a team student, effort. Ask mm -hmm. the family. Ask the teacher. Ask what's mm -hmm. going to make life mm -hmm. better on Monday for Johnny. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I love it, and I think we need to be vulnerable and say we don't know it all, and we all have to work on it together, and and let's design a program uh, I, that is good for our student. With that, I love what you just said there. One of the things uh, that kept me. Mm -hmm young and fresh as a teacher uh, through the whole 37 mm -hmm. years. Um, I, I retired last mm -hmm. year from, from the special day class, but was the very liberating notion that I don't know the answers. I don't have to know the mm -hmm. answers. I just need to know the questions. Mm -hmm. And together, mm -hmm. I can work with students and families and paras and occupational therapists and speech therapists and whoever has a bloody idea You know, mm -hmm, let's mm -hmm. let's make this a team. Mm -hmm. I also found that that kind of attitude really helped IEPs move forward. It helped everything. 
when I simply said, I don't know either. Sure. You know, let's let's figure this. Mm-hmm. I know what mm-hmm. I want. You know, I know what we mm-hmm. want. And so so go, going from there, admitting you don't know, freeing yourself from needing to know the answers is tremendously liberating professionally. True, very, very true. Yes, yes. There. Mr. T, thank oh, you so been much. My pleasure, Savita. So much. It was so wonderful hearing from you, from your years of experience and, and, and things that come out of practical knowledge, not, not things from, you know, I like things to be so and so, but actually somebody who's uh, done I, it. I've and, done it. And who's... And I learned enough to know that nobody else knows the answers either. <laughs> <laughs> I am not alone. I simply admit. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, All right, you, thank you so much bye bye <laughs>